0: The future of legal THC is Mood's THCA flower. Find it today at hellomood.com, the best online dispensary that ships discreetly to your door. Great for beginner and veteran users, Mood enhances awe-inspiring experiences with a variety of high-quality products you can trust, from gummies and pre-rolls to classic flour and so much more. Try Mood's new THCA flower today, and for 20% off your first order plus a free pre-roll
1: of THCA flower, go to hellomood.com and use promo code PODCAST20. It's harder than ever to find clothes that will stand the test of time. But if you're looking for pieces designed to last, you can't go wrong with American Giant. From hoodies and t-shirts to denim and more, they've got everything you need to build a wardrobe that you'll be proud of for years to come. Shop wardrobe essentials that last a lifetime at American-Giant.com and use LT23 to get 20% off your first order. That's 20% off your first order, American-Giant.com, code LT23. Hi, friends! Welcome back to another episode of the New Evangelicals Podcast. On this episode, I have Dr. Matthew Bodie, who is a professor at University of North Georgia. He also um, has um, like a, a blog. Uh, slash news site where he critiques Charlie Kirk, which I found very fitting for this week because yesterday was the 4th of July and there's always this talk of patriotism and Christianity and Christian nationalism. So I wanted to release this episode this week because it kind of plays off of what I talked about on my account um, on Sunday and just some of my thoughts in general. But, you know, Dr. Bodhi really knows his stuff. He, He specializes in rhetoric teaching. So teaching people what rhetoric is and how to use it. And we talk a lot about Charlie Kirk, his journey from Really not talking about his faith in the in, in the public spot uh, public spotlight at all. To all of a sudden, within the past like year or two, really making that a core part of his message and why that matters. We talk about Christian nationalism, what it actually means, and we also talk about talk radio and what style of rhetoric they employ. I really enjoyed this conversation. It helps me to understand better the foundational principles that are going in to this Christian nationalist movement that we're seeing. That can conservative talk radio movement that's kind of in bed with Christian nationalism and how the evangelical church um, plays a part in that and how all three of those things are tied together. So I really hope that you enjoyed this episode, especially in light of it being a uh, 4th of July weekend. So thanks a lot for checking this one out. That being said, I also want to say thank you so much to all of our supporters. Thank you to everyone who gave us a review recently. We shot up almost like 45 reviews. If you can keep that momentum going, that would be so great. If you have not given us a rating or review on iTunes yet, if you can please do that, it helps us out so much. I can't even tell you how much it helps us out because it lets Apple know to recommend our podcast when people search for general topics that relate to us. Also, if you're watching on YouTube, two quick things. Number one, if you can give us a subscribe and a like, that would be great. And number two, I apologize now for the video quality of this interview. So I recently found a way to actually use my camera I'm sorry, my iPhone as um, a webcam for my computer through an app called Camo. And this is not a paid promotion. I just love the app so much because instead of having to pay hundreds of dollars for, you know, a real nice camera that, that has nice features and has the clarity, I can use my iPhone for a really cheap price. So the next couple episodes should be getting better and better as far as video quality. But this one was really bad. Dr. Bodie was in like a, a very low lit room. So it's hard to see him, um, which it's no big deal. I just want to give you all heads up. Don't be shocked when it transitions. That being said, friends, I hope you enjoy this episode. One last thing, if you want to support the show and the new evangelicals, you can donate in the link below. A sincere thank you to everyone who has donated. It seriously helps us out so much. It covers costs. It covers my time. It helps me keep doing this, helps me um, be able to make time for interviews and to get this content out. So all right, friends, without further ado, I hope you enjoyed this episode. On, you know, it's kind of funny because I saw an article you wrote on Twitter. I'm like, I love this dude. I'm going to see if he'll come on the show. And here we are like three days later. So I appreciate you making the time. Thanks for for coming on to the podcast.
0: I'm happy to be here.
1: (laughs) Okay. Well, I, I let's kick right off into this because if for all of the listeners out there, they know I am very passionate about calling out the The conservative media machine for kind of hijacking Jesus, Um, you know, and that includes Charlie Kirk, Candace Owens, Sean Hannity, all those guys. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, I grew up on a pretty steady diet of Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity my entire life. Um, I was homeschooled and he was on the radio all the time in our household. So I'm very familiar with like that that world but I, I'm kind of curious to know like how did you get involved with like responding to Charlie Kirk's stuff having a whole website really devoted to to responding to him what what gave you the itch to scratch
0: um, I became a professor in uh, 2015 uh, here in Georgia and I got involved in uh, the statewide campaign um, to stop, uh, concealed carry on campus, guns on campus, uh, campus carry. Sometimes is called, um, Wait, that, I wrote, oh, a, I'm sorry. Yeah. Is,
1: is, is that a thing?
0: Yeah. Oh, oh yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're unaware of that. Yes. I,
1: I live by I Philadelphia. All right. I live Ooh, in New Jersey. Right. And so the idea of carrying a, a weapon on a college campus is just mind blowing to me. So that's a thing.
0: Yes. Uh, there are currently, <laughs> okay. uh, I think 10, maybe 12 states that allow that. And there are more uh, on the way um, they've gone through. It started out as a legal fight. Um, some NRA types, suing university <laughs> systems to allow it. And then it went through the state legislators. That's how Georgia got it. Uh, it had actually been a bill in the Georgia legislature for many years until it finally was passed. Um, in wow. 2017. Oh, uh, and so, yes. 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 Recently. Uh, anyway, so I wrote an editorial, uh, for the local paper, the Atlanta journal constitution, um, you know, telling people why that was bad. Um, and (laughs) several months later, um, turning point USA, which Charlie Kirk runs, um, did really their first kind of, I think viral, um, uh, experience if you will, and started the professor watch list, um, and there were 100 people named on that the first round, and I was one of the first 100 named. And so, um, I didn't know who he was nor Turning Point was before that. But I mm. learned quickly who that was there. Oh yeah. Um, and so, you know, that got me interested in him. And I, I don't think initially I started writing about him, but I started reading about him and and reading about what he wrote, and then you know, uh, starting your own blog is kind of like, you know, who's going to read this? No, one's going to care. And and, and I did for a while, but I kept sending it out to people and re- responding to people on, on Twitter and mm. responding to Charlie Kirk on Twitter. Eventually he blocked me and all his accounts blocked me, but
1: nice, um, Free speech, but, baby. Yes. So
0: I, I write a fact check analysis, uh, website about Charlie Kirk and, um, he, uh, <laughs> he targeted me first. So that's, that's what I say to everybody. <laughs>
1: Well, it sounds like what I'm hearing you say is that Charlie Kirk sent a mob of people after you. You know, I mean, that's he didn't send it after me,
0: but certainly many people, uh, many people on that watch list have been targeted in different ways. I'm a, I'm a professor in at a very small school in the middle of nowhere, Georgia, so no one's going to, um, you know, target me. Uh, right, but right, many right. people on that list have been, and so um, I got involved also because of that uh, with the American Association of University Professors, which is sort of the um, union for professors in states that allow unions but in Georgia we call it an advocacy group uh, cuz we don't have unions um, okay. but they have been uh big and fighting uh that professor watch list and, and you know volunteering to be on the list and things like that so that's how i got interested in charlie kirk
1: yeah well you know it's very interesting because um i grew up in a conservative household homeschooled the whole nine you know and i i've known about charlie kirk for quite a while now but he, in my mind he is maybe the biggest conservative media person that you probably don't know about you know meaning like like a lot of people don't know about him but he is he is humongous turning point usa is ginormous they have an army of people on instagram and i've noticed (laughs) this trend where he has like young beautiful college girls who are like turning point (laughs) ambassadors and like they just espouse these like it's just talking points there's no substance it's just talking points and so you know in in that sense he's kind of a genius for how he did everything because he's exploded but i also find him Incredibly problematic for many reasons. I mean, for many. Um, yes. But the article that I want to bring attention to that that you really, I think, it was so helpful for me because I didn't I didn't even realize this is that Charlie Kirk didn't start out as like someone who's advocating for taking America back for God. He mm. was way more libertarian, you know, in the beginning. Can you kind of you know walk us through this shift of Charlie going from libertarian to like a, a MAGA loving, you know, take back the country kind of person?
0: Yeah, um, for those who don't know, uh, Charlie Kirk started uh, Turning Point USA in 2012 as a high school senior. Um, he got um, the eyes of a, of a benefactor, Bill Montgomery, who sadly died um, 2019. And he, uh, Bill, and, and Charlie, you know, toured a bunch of uh, GOP um, town halls and, and Tea Party groups, which was big in 2012, trying to you know start this group. Um, and you know, he had a happen. Stance lucky encounter with uh, Foster uh, Fries, who also recently died at the 2012 GOP convention. That was his first big donor. And yes, his message, his mantra, his three-word or three-phrase way of selling Turning Point USA was a young, conservative, free market, uh, freedom... Um, limited government. That's the three words they use. I mean, his big phrase is big government sucks. And that was the mantra of Turning Point USA. Um, He he did a Breitbart article attacking a uh, economics textbook that was being used in Some classes and that got him on Fox News to talk about it, and this was all in in the spring and summer of 2012. So, the the Libertarians, the party, and if you will, hardcore Libertarians don't accept him as a Libertarian, Uh, but he he does use their phrase a lot, and he has described himself as a conservatarian, which, as he said, a combination conservative libertarian, things like that, Um, and he he, I wouldn't say never. But uh, very, very undersold or very hid, I think, um, his Christian um, religion or his Christian beliefs. Uh, he would have Saved by Jesus, a sinner Saved by Jesus in his Twitter yes, uh, profile. Yes, right.
2: It's still there. But
0: other than that, he didn't really talk about religious issues or the religious politics of issues. Uh, he mainly focused on those libertarian issues. He certainly would do uh, Second Amendment. He wrote a, uh, a book oh. with a hunting group. Uh, one of his early publications and a lot of his early Turning Point USA publications were about gun rights. Um, his first uh, coming out book, uh, Time for a Turning Point, was written with a uh, co author out of the Heartland Institute. I forget his name, but that's a big conservative, limited government freedom group out of I think they're out of Illinois. Um, and so for. I would say the first four years of the consistent 2012 to 2016, again, if you didn't know Turning Point, it was very small. It, right. it had a few hundred um, thousand dollars in, in a budget um, and they expanded to college campuses. And basically, he is your college campus, um, you know, um, provocateur. Go on campus, yeah. make some video clips, invite right. people in to a big thing. Uh, I've been to two of them. Um, they were both at the University of Georgia. He has, you know, toured in different campuses. Uh, the University of Georgia Turning Point USA uh, chapter is is pretty big, uh, and they've invited him on uh, to their campus twice. I've been to that, and as it, much as what you would think, it's a it's a small Trump rally without Trump.
2: Right. Uh, there's right.
0: music. Um, there's a Q and A, and and that's really where he does his best work is is getting a question from a, a, a liberal or a lefty and it's really just you know mocking them or or turning the question around so that the debate is lost and anything along those lines and that makes a clip and he has as you as you said been very successful at using social media particularly Twitter and now Instagram I mean early on his Twitter account was him tweeting at conservative politicians hey I'm a young person starting a group can I can I get you on you know, or can I uh, have time with you? Right. And now it's completely switched. He is the platform that all the other people go to.
1: Oh, totally. I mean, yeah. honestly, his Twitter's, in my view, pretty embarrassing. I mean, some of the stuff <laughs> he tweets, I'm like, dude, have you thought about what you're saying? Like, I mean, he he he's one of these people who really toe the fine line of like conspiracy theory. Versus, like, okay, maybe he just—I disagree with him. Like, he said things I'm like, dude, that's borderline conspiracy theory level here. Right, yeah, I mean, he—he he totally and he believes that Trump.
0: It. He totally believes that Trump won the election, so that's certainly a conspiracy theory. Yes, but back yes, to your, yes, your your question about how he became a, a culture a warrior for God. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So his his religious biography, if you will, starts at Harvest Bible Chapel or Harvest Chapel in uh chicagoland in the chicago suburbs i think they had seven eight campuses um with james mcdonald of course who was fired and oh, um, you know left that place
1: james mcdonald yes, wow yes, it all right. connects um, oh, yeah my yeah totally
0: and, and what we learn about uh, Kirk's religious um, leanings is, is the tidbits he leaves in these interviews that he does with people. Um, and then you have to go look up different things, but he was a, uh, a regular attender. I don't really call it member, but he, uh, you know, certainly was a part of harvest Bible chapter, harvest yeah, chapel I think wow. it's called mm-hmm. so much to the point that two, two big events happened. One, he gave a graduation speech, a, 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 not a commencement, but a baccalaureate kind of deal uh to their high school seniors in 2018 i want to say uh where he he repeated james mcdonald's gospel mantra two words one word uh, i forget what it is and then second um i believe it was on the the 30th anniversary special of harvest uh they had a bunch of people come in and do video clips about what the church has been to him and and luke mcdonald um the son of james uh, did an interview with charlie Uh, On a set, and I think they played it in church. I didn't actually see it, but it was on YouTube until they took all those down after James McDonald was fired. But but basically, in that video, Charlie says, You know, I've been attending here, Uh, I've learned a lot from James. And and he says, kind of directly, I, while I'm a Christian, I don't really, um, you know, use my religion in my politics. And he says that same thing to Dave Rubin. The lefty, righty, whatever yeah, you want to call him, yeah, commentator yeah, yeah. in 2018. So, up to 2018 now. Wow. So, we're into Trump as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, okay. right. And so, 2016, Kirk spends the summer, uh, election summer with Don Jr. as his personal assistant. Uh, just like, hey, can I follow you around? And he does for the entire campaign. And that's how they can become best friends. Okay. And that's why Don Jr. shows up at all the campus events that they wow. had before the pandemic. Um, and so two years in, you know, Trump is speaking at Turning Point USA summer uh, events. Uh, I think he spoke it twice during his um, administration. Don Jr. speaks at all the events. And still, there is no um, religious, you know— um, speaking from Kirk about connecting religion and politics. And so he comes out with the MAGA doctrine uh, in 2000, late 2019, I think it is. And still there's very little religion in that book, which is like what he's trying to make Trump into some sort of like making sense person, uh, right. but there's no mention or little mention of religion. So even up to then, you know, in early 2019, when he's writing the book, there's still no religious mission. And so there isn't, there isn't one moment or one time where he seems, where Kirk seems to make this turn I, I, I want to uh, nail it down to two things. One is his sure. association with Liberty University.
1: Oh, yeah. Jerry Falwell. Um, Jr. You know,
0: he started the, the Falkirk Center, Falkirk. which has been renamed, yes. um, but also they gave him an honorary degree. Um, and that place, of course, is known for its evangelical um, Christian nationalism, right? So he met several people through that network. And one of those people was Rob McCoy, who was a megachurch pastor in California, who is the prototypical... Christian nationalist pastor. Um, he was on the city council with Thousand Oaks, um, elected government official, and also pastor, which is not unheard of in many different circles. But right. um, he resigned that position, that city council position, because he does not agree with the the mandates of COVID vaccine that he was being asked to enforce as a government official, and of course would would have um, you know um, really hampered his ministry. Um, right. His 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 personal church followed a lot of them. And I think at some point gave communion one-on-one in the building. and uh, But there were many uh, other churches in, in California and, of course, around the nation that just didn't follow any guidelines at all. Oh, I know.
1: I followed uh, a lot of those guys. It was crazy. So uh, at some point in
0: 2019, uh, Rob McCoy meets Charlie Kirk at an event. He didn't say where. This comes from Charlie Kirk's tour of churches he's done the last year. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and they met and they started talking. And Rob McCoy challenges him, hey, you're a Christian. I want to talk to you more about how the Bible talks about religion and politics. And, you know, and so over a series of conversations, Charlie Kirk is converted. And and that's really the two influences that we have from Charlie Kirk's own mouth. Liberty University and Rob McCoy seem to have driven um, Charlie Kirk into this new stage of, of Christian nationalism.
1: Well, let me just say it's evident that you really know your stuff on this. So I and I appreciate that because in the world of social media, it's hard to like have a source that you can say this person really he's at this he, he's close to the center of all this. You know, so mm-hmm. I, I appreciate you sharing that because. Um, I have found, and I'm sure you've seen this too, that Christian nationalism has really exploded over the past four years and even more so the past two years. Um, And I'm seeing more and more of these conservative media commentators like Charlie Kirk, Candace Owens is another one, um, Ben Shapiro, who I think what's happening is they're realizing who their base is. And they're like, mm-hmm. okay, I got to start really playing to this base. Like, I know for a fact Candace Owens is speaking at two, at least two mega churches this summer out in California, and they're charging up to two hundred dollars a head. You know, for her, and they and she's speaking on like a Sunday morning. And I'm like, oh my god, I, I charging? Wow, they're charging, oh. yeah. and I am shocked. I'm I'm like, okay. And Candace Owens is not very vocal, as far as I can tell yet, about her faith. But I I suspect we're gonna see the same turn. So let's move this conversation into this idea of Christian nationalism okay because I am a lay person, I am not well educated you know I have some college under my belt but getting from someone who I think you know knows a little, a little bit more, how do you define Christian nationalism and, and and where do you think what do you think has, has kind of caused this this explosion this like resurgence, if you will of this very blatant Christian nationalism?
0: Well, there's been many scholars or experts that have written about this. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a rhetoric scholar and I do rhetoric of religion, so I do pay attention to all of this. Um, the, several definitions are kind of floating out there. Andrew uh, Whitehead and Sam Perry wrote a great book on that. Um, and I don't know their exact definition, but basically, it is a combination of some form of Christianity. I mean, there, you cannot do this with other religions um, and um, a desire to see that religion rule in the United States, whether through the electoral process or not, mm-hmm. uh, because of the special place that that religion holds for the United States. It is not merely the rhetoric of Ronald Reagan's city on a hill that sort of thing. It goes beyond that to suggest, of course, that uh, Christians should be in government, not just influencing government, but running government and that Christian government should be run by a certain set of principles, not merely, um, you know, good government or, you know, non-corrupt government. But, um, you know, there's different extremes, but it, it is implementing um The Old Testament, uh, the Ten Commandments, Uh, it is implementing justice and mercy as well. But it is also implementing this this culture part of it that, of course, does not appear in the Bible. Um, And so it's mainly white. It's mainly evangelical. It certainly has a Pentecostal bit to it, which is why you see a lot of those pastors hanging around Trump.
2: Um,
0: But uh, it, it is a way in which they bring God's kingdom into existence. Is this, this like specifically dominion, in the United States?
1: Is this dominion theology you're starting to hint at here that like yeah, seven, I, I think so. seven, seven mountains? Is that kind of the, the, is that, is yeah. That what yeah. Called?
0: I mean, dominion, okay. meaning, uh, the areas of the kingdom where Christians should rule. And there are seven mountaintops or seven mountains of cultural influence. And I can't name them all, but mainly it's the seven things you would think of, right. Government, right. media, politics,
2: yeah, things like that.
0: Um, and, and, that um, is a combination of different things. I mean, if you saw the the Michael Flynn news uh, over the weekend and the, and the coup thing, he gave that at uh, you know a rally where the, the motto is for God and country. So mm. it, it is a very specific, I want to say, version and not real Christianity, but a specific version of Christianity where God and the United States are tied together. Yeah. Um, but it is taking back America. Uh, because there are constant, uh, notions of it being lost, right? right. Or it being, uh, moving away from certain things, of course, socialism, communism, all those things play into Israel there. So it is returning God returning. If you want to say, I mean, prayer in schools is, is a very <laughs> small part of it, but right, right? it is, it, it, it takes that small part and goes the seven mountains of cultural influence. And that phrase Charlie Kirk mentions for the first time, um, in February of 2020 at uh, CPAC, which is the conservative political action committee. Um, And he says that Donald Trump is the first president that understands those. Mm. Um, So, you know, conservatives and Christian nationalists loved Ronald Reagan. They have replaced him uh, with Donald Trump.
1: Yeah. Okay. That's helpful. And uh, so I think, is it safe to say that, that Donald Trump and that election um, was one of the big catalysts of like maybe this either resurgence or more public expression of Christian nationalism. You know, like like I know that like Bethel Church for example they've kind of hinted at, at, at Dominion theology. I know that already, yeah. but now it's like blatant. It's out in the open. A guy who supports it, quote unquote, is in the White House. Is that is that where we see this rise again of Christian nationalism just kind of exploding?
0: Well, certainly, yeah. I mean, Trump needed white evangelicals to come out for him, and they did in many ways in 16 and 2020. But in many ways, like Trump has given uh, implicit permission to many different types of isms and racism and and white nationalism, this also was given more permission to come about. But for it to to be sustained now post-Trump, it needed a bit something else, right? So the big lie of the election, but also the... The Bible stories we know of not underdogs, but people who go through um, um, a a time where they lose or a time when they're not successful or a time when they're shouted down. This is the mantra of Trump returning to office. And and of course, it's bigger than, than than Donald Trump. It is about the country. So it is a time of reckoning, a time of purification, a, a time of restoring. So these years of Biden, however long the administration is going to go, <laughs> yeah. is the energy that is 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 keeping Christian nationalism going. It started certainly with Donald Trump and him bringing those groups together right. uh, that wouldn't normally come together. And that's why he was a sexual candidate. But now it is much bigger than that. And so you see Charlie Kirk, right? Obviously a MAGA uh, sycophant, a, a Trump loyalist, but he is building something bigger than just one, one person. Yeah.
1: No, for sure.
3: In America, it's estimated that 4% of people in prison are actually innocent.
0: When I saw them, for the very first time. Like, I knew who my jury was going to be doing trial. To be honest, I knew I lost then.
3: In 2002, the state of Georgia found Kerry guilty for his alleged involvement in a vicious rape. Only a small percentage of those people have their convictions overturned.
0: You know, as one great justice said uh, many years ago, we don't find our witnesses from church pews.
3: What series of events led to Kerry's wrongful conviction? Could this happen to anyone? What finally convinced the courts to overturn his conviction? From Zapier, in partnership with the Georgia Innocence Project, this is The 4%. Listen anywhere you get your podcasts or visit zapier.com forward slash resources forward slash podcasts to learn more.
1: I agree. This is a, a very interesting phenomenon for me because, as someone who's very plugged into evangelical culture and, and grew up, you know, understanding it pretty well, this is one of the few times where I'm seeing. Groups that don't agree at all theologically really agree on this. Like I'm seeing fundamentalist groups agree with reform groups, with with the more prosperity gospel groups, with the charismatic. Like they're all aligned on this. They really are. And it it honestly is it's it's disheartening to see that it took um I would say I would call it a heretical you know Christian nationalist movement to unite a church instead of like you know I don't know loving your neighbor or something. Can you speak on because something I'm seeing and I saw that that you wrote an article about this with Charlie, a kind of response. I'm noticing that the evangelical culture is so focused on making CRT critical race theory the newest boogeyman that they either do not see the devil in their pews, you know, nationalism rising, right. or they want it to be bred and, and 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 they support it. What are your thoughts on that?
0: Well. I think if, you, if you've grown up in evangelicalism, you know the power of purity, whether it's purity culture or yeah. keeping the pulpit pure or keeping our theology pure. Totally. So that that has two aspects. The the positive, let's make our theology crisp and understandable and, and all that and doing yeah. great work there. And it's also it has to, it's always paired with a negative, keeping certain things out. Um, and so, and of course, the, the mantra of, you know, in the world, but not of it, but also yeah. the world impacts the uh, church and the church impacts the world. And when you let the world in, it's the church that changes all those things you've heard, right?
1: Totally. Totally. So,
0: but you have to make all those cliches specific at a time. Uh, and so I study rhetoric. And one of the key things in rhetoric is, is Kairos, which is a moment in time, uh, something that happens. Uh, it's not a chronological time. It's it's, it's a moment in time that comes very important. So you have to make that abstract um, thinking Uh, Give it a face. Right. And so we've seen many isms, cultural Marxism, socialism, communism, critical race theory. All of those become ways in which you focus the the church's attention. And I put that in quotations um, to keep itself from being invaded. Um, It's kind of like election fraud. And the election laws being passed, they can't point to any cases that made them pass these laws, but they're going to pass these laws, right? Right. And so um, the – I was going to say the thinking evangelicals, but as a whole, they're not known for that because Mark Knoll told us. But people who who don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater right. understand that you can learn from all these different things. I, I think there are many great African-American black um, scholars, especially on Twitter, that I noticed that it says there are parts to CRT that are really helpful and, and some that are not. Um, but all truth is God's truth. And so we should learn to understand. And of course, there are other people who will see those three letters and think S I N right and 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 go away from it um so yeah. it is difficult um to really get people to talk about it but at the same time as you point out there's all these groups coming together against one enemy and if that isn't the definition of christian nationalism i don't know what is
1: um, yeah, it's you know it's funny. I follow guys like Esau Macaulay on Twitter, mm-hmm. who I love, and I follow guys like James White on Twitter, who I don't like. <laughs> so I get to see both of their you know like perspectives. And I love Esau stuff; it's great. Um, you know, you said that you know you you teach rhetoric and. Um, <sighs> I'm trying to think of the best way to ask this question. So I grew up listening to these talk radio guys, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like they employ rhetoric really well because it's so convincing is, yeah. you know, but like, can you kind of like maybe dismantle like their rhetoric for me? Like, okay. Cause I'll, I'll put it this way. I'll be driving, listening to Sean Hannity. I'm thinking, how, dude, I know he's wrong. I can't explain why, but I just know what he's, he's, Pushing is like hot air. What is it about, about their style of rhetoric that convinces so many people, even though there's so little substance underneath of it so often?
0: Well, the one rhetoric term that I think they all use, and I'd have to study to give you specific examples, sure. but it's, it's called the, the enthyme. Hmm. Um, and it, it basically is a three-part uh, argument. Okay. And they leave out one of the parts. It could be the conclusion. It could be a second part where you have to supply it yourself. But great radio hosts like Rush Limbaugh, right, provide just enough for the audience to then provide their own part, and it comes together in the end. It's believable because you're already primed to believe it. Yes, of course. But you also have to be convinced daily to continue to listen. And so there are ways in which uh, you provide a little bit of information, to perhaps leave out or let the audience draw their own conclusion or provide their own part of the argument and then you become one you become together you join together you're unified now at the end of the hour or whatever and you're Called to take action. I mean, that's how rhetoric works. You have an introduction, you have a bring the audience into the argument kind of thing. You have reasons, you have evidence, maybe, and then you have this call to action, right? And so by the end, if you have done that well, if you have brought the audience along with you, which is a phrase I think all radio or TV people would do, um, you're 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 golden, um, and that's why of course that many people have tried to replicate. Rush Limbaugh, and many people have kind of done that. And Charlie Kirk is trying to do that. Yeah. But it, it is very good rhetoric because it involves the audience. It isn't just listening. You're not just being lectured to. It's like preaching in that regard. A good preacher is going to involve the audience even though they don't speak, right? Right. Um, and so it, it is a as if you're listening to him one-on-one. Yes. That is as if you can yeah. follow him and he is doing that. And that's what make podcasts. good okay? Cause it, it has to be caught. You have to have someone to talk to, right? Totally. Uh, yeah. Totally. And so uh, it's an infamy and, and it basically an enthymeme is um, leaving out one part of the argument, either supplying it by the audience's conclusion or something like that. And, and it is, it's been there for thousands of years.
1: I've also found that a lot of those guys really imply things, not saying it directly. Like they'll they'll no. hint at things. Like I've never heard before. Rush passed away. i never heard him say the election was stolen. But the way he would talk, he would kind of imply like, well, like it, it would it would plant this seed in your head, and you can never like go back in time and like say this is the moment where 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 Rush Limbaugh said it. But he was the, he was so good at like giving you that power of suggestion, and I hmm. feel like that that's another huge part of it. But my question is like, where does Rhetoric, you know, where does rhetoric stop and like truth begin? Because I feel like one of the genius and also scariest things about the talk radio world, the conservative media world, is that technically, if they're ever pushed for it, like I, like if Sean Hannity is ever subpoenaed by the government, he'll say, "No, no, no, we're not a news show; we're an entertainment show." We're entertainment, but they don't position themselves like that to their audience at all. I mean, they they just don't. I listen to them. You know, they yeah. they make they, they make you feel like they're truth tellers, and this is not entertainment. This is life or death. You know, right. I mean, how wh- where do we draw the line with that kind of stuff?
0: Well, I mean, the the question of rhetoric. In truth as an age-old Christian in our field. And Augustine certainly is a good example of that. Um, but a, an example, I think, uh, on Charlie Kirk is, is the best one. Great. So his first, very first thing that he wrote that that got him a name was Breitbart. And like I said, it was a criticism of an economics textbook that was based yeah. upon a Paul Krugman uh, book. And so he was criticizing Paul Krugman. But the rhetorical move or the thing that Charlie Kirk does in that is implied that he has secret knowledge about how professors work or how colleges work or how liberal textbook writers work. And he's going to share that knowledge with his readers, right? And so it's, it's either, you know, some sort of insider information that they know what's going on, you know, or they know the truth. Uh, and, and so it works from a credibility standpoint. So how do you think a you know high school kid from nowhere, Illinois, convinces people that he has secret knowledge? Well, he's a high school kid. In a class with a textbook that they his audience doesn't have, so it doesn't have to be a celebrity or it doesn't have to be Michael Flynn on the stage saying there's going to be a coup and as <laughs> a general you should believe it, right? Right, right? It really depends upon the situation of 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 the writer or or the talker, right? So when Sean Hannity says it, you know that because he talks to trump every day or when tucker right. calls and says this is what is really happening he's connected he knows all these things right you riding in your car in alabama don't and you're getting it from him right so it is power of suggestion and power of implication but it is also like i have the secret knowledge uh and i'm going to share it with you Well, um, you know, so it's, it is a right, truth sure. but it, it is a truth that they're they're selling right here's the truth totally, that's happening totally, right? yeah
1: I mean, as you're talking, of course, who do I think of? QAnon. I mean, that, if that isn't like how QAnon exploded, this idea of an insider who knows things, has secret knowledge. And also, I mean, going back to the Rush and the Sean, they do that all the time. You know, like I have friends or, or this is happening or the drive-by media, right? As Rush always calls them. Here's what right. they don't want you to know. And You're right. That, Here's what they don't want you to know. I'm right. going to tell you that, right? right. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's, it's a yeah.
0: move of authenticity because I'm going to be real with you, but right. it is also a move of, of knowledge, yeah.
1: So really... It, these guys are like masters of rhetoric is what it sounds like. And, they, and, and, and they've used their power for bad, maybe, I guess we could say. You know, or something like, I don't know. I, right. I, I guess it gets kind of murky, but at least on my vantage point, I'm thinking back to all these years of listening to these people and now seeing – you know, Charlie Kirk is like the new generation of that. He's like version mm-hmm. 2.0 because Rush right. started this, right? Yeah, Talk radio right, was not totally. a thing until right. Rush Limbaugh turned on that microphone, right? Yeah. So, like, that was version one, and that was pretty – and Rush did a lot of things that, that I think were not appropriate – But people like Charlie or Candice, I mean, they're way more, I think. Right, because they have to be, right? You can't
0: just do Rush anymore. You have to do him 2.0 or 10 times, right? Because you have to hold the audience. They've heard the other things before, right? Right. We can't just imply there was an election was stolen. We have to say there was a con. We have to say that there are fraudulent ballots. We have to say there's a van driving down the street with all these ballots. We have to show (laughs) video of someone marking up ballots, right? right? And so you have to I mean, it, it's egging on the audience. You have to keep them, and and Trump is the master of that is is giving them pieces of information at time and saying, "I'm going to reveal," "I'm going to reveal," and uh, it's kind of. I mean, that's the basis of Trump University, right? I'm going to teach you these things one by one, and you have to pay five hundred dollars for the next thing, and and so it, it is a master of rhetoric, but it's also a master of manipulation. I mean, mm. rhetoric and manipulation—the thin line there. I Totally agree. I teach uh, the ethics of rhetoric and how mm. to do it ethically. I mean, it's really hard to do. Uh, <laughs> Um, I also wrote a book about the rhetoric of evil, so I understand oh. how that that works as well, and how to use that in a better way. But yeah, it is it is it is bringing stringing your audience along so that they will stay with you.
1: Well, tell so me they if, will not turn the channel. Tell me if I'm wrong about this. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like the the uh, the the Dane, the the um, I don't know whatever the right word is like like a, a major ingredient in all of this. That that has made this really blow up is the fact that social media people have no memory, right? So, like for example, I remember on during election night, I remember seeing the tweets, fake ballots found, van this, you know, this is the big one. But now we all know it's a bunch of malarkey, right? It's it's not true. But because our attention span in 2021 is that of a gnat, no one thinks, oh wait. Charlie lied like three whole months ago or five months ago. And, you know, it, it's just out of sight, out of mind. And do you feel like that plays into this where, where people could just say things that maybe aren't true and they'll go, well, no matter what, it's going to blow over because it's Twitter. You know, like what 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 is last week is like 10 years ago in Twitter and Twitter days. Does that play a role in this as well?
0: You know, it, it certainly does and It's really the, the central question of why I keep writing about Charlie Kerr. I mean, so you can fact check people and you can write the facts and political fact right. does all these, right? But right. It, 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 it does not matter. It will not change them and exactly. nor their followers, right? So yes. you, you, the question becomes, why the lie? Why does Trump have to lie 10,000 times or right. whatever the number it was, right? And right. lie about the same thing again and again, because the truth doesn't matter. It isn't um they don't care that they said the exact opposite several months ago or even yesterday as right. in the case of Michael Flynn right it is um the constant framing of it a framing of the issue a framing of the thing so it it reveals the thing that they want to say or, or to pl- to play it more simply to always be on offense Right. right. And so, Always. never to be on defense, right? So, this constant, it, it is not a truth or not question. It is a how can I frame this to be on offense. And so, Charlie Kirk yes. is really good at taking um, phrases and ideas and, and words that are often used by the left or used by his opponents yeah. and using it for his own gain. I mean, the COVID mask thing is is a great example yeah. of that, right? We've lost our liberty. We've lost our freedom. Masks don't help. I mean, he has all some some claims without evidence about masks, but he has changed it into a question that he can play offense on: freedom and liberty and things like that. And 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 then now we add the church thing. Pastors should open their churches because churches are essential, right? That comes from essential worker. And what 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 does government say about what businesses can operate and win? I mean, he just used that for his own. Gain and and it, it it is eaten up, right? Uh, because eating up.
1: Eating eaten up, up. <laughs> eaten up, and and that plays into this idea that Trump is going to disrupt the establishment, right? They. Cre- White evangelicals who overwhelmingly voted for Trump wanted someone to play offense for four years, and 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 that's why I think nothing stuck to Trump. I mean, when in 2016, even before he got elected, when that when those comments came out of the Hollywood you know access, access Hollywood mm-hmm. tapes, right? Yeah. I thought to myself, oh, this is it. Like, thank Everybody God, yes. goodbye. Right. You know, like I yeah. grew I grew up, I grew up in, in Christianity. They know their purity culture, okay? And this right. is going to be a no go. And then Jerry Falwell says, we need a commander in chief, not a pastor in chief. And people go, yeah, you're right. We really do. You know, and I'm, at that point I'm losing my mind, but it was very clear from the beginning that, that, that this group of Christians who are a huge segment of the, of the American population wanted someone to play offense and would, would, would take the power grab at, at any cost, even their own theological, um, you know, um, beliefs.
0: Right. Right. And, and let's not kid ourselves. Everyone, white evangelicals included knew who Trump was when he ran. Yeah, He's a billionaire, married three times, host of, of things. Right. They knew what they were getting, right? Yeah. It wasn't, the Access Hollywood tape was not a surprise. <laughs> that it was on tape is perhaps right. a surprise,
2: right? right? right.
0: Um, so uh, there's not one moment. You, we keep saying, you know, this, this should have ended him. This should have ended him. They knew what they were getting. And as you said, he was doing exactly what they wanted him to do. Um, and, and, and you get that now with people who are trying to replicate him, uh, like uh, the woman from my state, Marjorie Majority Green? Green. Oh, my right, God. Right? Holy so smokes. <laughs> if, if Christian nationalism is, yeah. is a fight and yep. playing offense and doing the Lord's work right. and, and not letting the gates of hell overcome us, right. which is, of course, us running over the gates right. of hell, right? Not right. stopping us. Right. Right? right. It does not matter who the leader is.
1: Right right?
0: It it doesn't. And so you can say anything you want, be any type of person you want, but you are God's chosen. Totally. Totally. I mean, the number of biblical characters that Trump has been compared to or said that he, or or, that people have said he is, is just evidence of that. Right. Charlie (laughs) Kirk wrote an editorial (laughs) implying that uh, Trump was Jesus because he, everybody was abandoning him (laughs) on Easter. Like, you can't get more christian
1: nationalists than that right and, and what happens in those circles that goes under the radar like no one calls it out no one yeah. no one in christian is right. like charlie kirk this is heretical this is unbiblical there's only one jesus so suddenly all of the arguments about how jesus is king is suddenly like not that he's not really it doesn't really matter if he's king or not because you know charlie said it right so like you said the facts don't matter it depends on who said it and how they said it and and how they're in and, 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 and like how they're pointing the gun. Like who's the gun pointed at? Right, because a good example of this is the immigration crisis. When this happened under Trump, I was critical of it, for sure. A lot of people were critical of it. And what did conservatives in the machine do? Oh, this was, Obama did this too, right? Blah, 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 And now that it's still happening under Biden, I've been critical of it. And what are Republicans critical of? Joe Biden for the immigration right. crisis. Like, they don't right. care about what actually happened. They just care under whose watch it's happening and then how they have to spin it. That's all it comes down right. to.
0: And, and, and that is the political side of Christian nationalism. I mean, yeah. it is nationalistic. It is political. It is if you will they use the word patriotism so it has that bit right but it also then has to have not the morality of the church but the um,
1: like the language
0: well i mean rhetoric and language but also the 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 salvation story mm-hmm. right you have to bring the church along and it has to be saved And the United States has to be saved at the same time. And those two things have to come together. And so we may have to go through trials. We may have to go through a democratic prison. We may have to go through socialism, right? But if we keep fighting, even if we lose, Right, and that that part is 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 the part where Trump, you know, is a little bit off, right? Because he doesn't like to lose and he can't admit that he lost. Right. But but there are plenty of white evangelicals who would admit that he's no longer in the White House, right? right. Know that he's not the president. That might not admit that he's not the real president, whatever. But they would admit that he that he's not there anymore. Right. So how do they deal with that? You yeah. know, how do they strain that? It is it is. God's time of pruning, God's time of taking us in and making right. us. Eat. I mean, there there are a host of cognitive dissonance things you could say, and, and I'm not just talking abstract. I know people who
1: say these things. I interviewed <laughs> as, someone as sure. who says yeah. these things, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, like because yeah. I had questions. Yeah. I'm like, I got questions for you, man. You know, yeah. like it's right. not adding up. It's just not. Um, mm. yeah, you know, I, the the church language, the salvific part of it. Um, it's just amazing to see it, like, in my view, just hijacked. Like, this gospel message just totally hijacked for a whole different purpose of trying to—I I call it, like, the church persecution complex. Like, what? Here, here's what I—there's there, get. actually a book by uh, Richard Drawer, I think, Live Not By Lies. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of it. You know, I, 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 I read it a couple of weeks ago, and, like, the guy is pretty much comparing, like, Soviet Russia— you know, to like the future of the U S if like, we don't take America back for God pretty much. Right. And so like, what I found is that like people are almost looking to have this happen to the U S like they almost are at any day now, you know, the churches will be shut down. And then when we have churches shut down because of COVID that's the smoking gun. And so it's like, you know, how does the mantra go? Like if you're looking for it, you'll find it kind of thing. Right. That's what I feel is happening here all the time.
0: Yes, indeed. And we, we, grew up in a culture, especially even in an aquaculture, where we had Jack Van Ippy every night. You could watch him, and he would tell you what news event matched what verse in Revelation. Totally. And, and so we're primed to see the connections yes. of, uh, you know, the nation of Israel being formed, or, or the European Union being formed. And we're primed to see events happen in terms of I don't want to use biblical worldview, but in terms of a biblical, you know, end of times. Like eschatology. um,
2: Yeah. Right.
0: And and so you you add just a little politics to that yeah. it doesn't take much really because yeah. again you've had serious process uh a series of people do this right yeah. uh the thing i remember i guess my first introduction to christian nationalism and i was a kid i don't remember the exact date but you know pat robertson ran for mm. president yep. and yeah and i saw a documentary about this you know years later and they were interviewing someone who was on george hw bush's staff of course bush was all for president and won the european nomination bubble blah, blah, blah. and and pat robertson said you know, I'm running uh, a good versus evil campaign. And this was during the primary. And, and the staffer for Bush goes, so what does that make me? Right. Pat Robertson said that a person right. in his own party, the person who would become president, the person who was a Christian, Episcopalian, who had, you know, they'd known right. for years, right? right? He was the guy that was going to be evil in that scenario. Right, right, right. And I'm like, Wow. You know, and that's that's one moment in a campaign that was failed from the beginning. He was never going to win, but he rallied the troops. And then there was Ralph Reed and more majority. Yes. And then there was not a person in the uh, prethala of people in 2016 who ran for the GOP nomination. There was not one person who could do all that except for mm. Trump. And he was a celebrity. He had a TV show. He had millions. Yeah. He wasn't going to take money from people. He had everything going for him. Right. That was needed. Yeah. Um, and he made nicknames for people, and it was. Oh, over.
1: I know I was there, just losing my <laughs> mind. So you know, last just a couple of questions here. Let's talk about the future. So where do you what what do you see the future holding for? I would say both. Christianity as a whole in America, specifically evangelical Christianity, that's kind of our world right now. Um, And then, you know, like, is nationalism going to keep growing, do you think? Like, what will it take to stop it? Can it be stopped? Like, what are your thoughts on on going forward?
0: Well, I'll give you two um, point of views. One's a national one. Um, Okay, I am not an expert in... Political science nor democracy, but just as a voter, I am deeply concerned about democracy
2: hmm. um,
0: because of the rise of Christian nationalism, because of the rise of what the Texas governor is doing, or yeah. the anti voting uh, laws and bills, and another coup, right? If you want to, uh, January 6th with an insurrection, it was an attempted coup. At there's going to be some other people who are just as mad yeah. if and when another election, it could be 22 or 24, goes bad. So I'm deeply concerned at the national level about that. Right at the local level, I constantly ask myself: You know, we're going to be in church again in person, and we're going to be in groups. How do we talk about this in a place where we're supposed to talk about everything? You know, we shouldn't talk about politics in church. Well, we can, in a sense of: Do you believe the big lie or not? And and so, how do we go? in fellowship with people who believe that either on some port of extreme or all the way to, to QAnon, how do you worship a God of truth with those people? Yeah. And I don't know how to answer that because I haven't been uh, in an in-person service in over a year, but um, that is just as concerning because we can pay attention to the national scene. We should. Um, but the church, uh, especially the white evangelical church has a history of not talking about things. Yeah. Um, yeah. so the people who say just preach the gospel, we can talk about critical race, theory, we can talk about justice and mercy and all those reparation things, but we also need to talk about perhaps more than, than those things, uh, at least in the white evangelical churches, right? Um, what you believe about january 6th and the election um and i don't i don't know who starts that conversation but it's like introducing yourself to a new friend do i want to become friends with this person okay what happened on january 6th can you tell me right um then if if you don't i i don't know how we go from here
1: right because it's a totally different it's a totally different like world than what actually happened right like we're not talking about you know like 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 flavors of ice cream or if you're a republican or 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 democrat and and why you believe that we're talking about if you believe something that is totally not true and has been proven not true a million ways to sunday I mean that, right. that's what we're talking about here, you know, like like right. we have data that, that 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 there was no big fraudulent election fraud happened like it does the same amount like it happens every election and not enough to sway any kind of of decision, you know. I mean that's just the bottom right, line, right? Yeah, I mean
0: I, as a know, college kid, I covered the election in Florida in in two thousand. I know what that looks like. It's, right. it's not this, right.
1: right? Yeah, no, for sure. Um, yeah, you know, I, I I find myself very much in, in in a similar boat where I'm thinking like you know the the white evangelical church well i think honestly the white evangelical church does get political i I, i've watched patriot sunday i i've watched pastors essentially say vote for uh vote republican from the pulpit on sunday morning give an hour and a half long sermon about it there's actually a patriot church network i'm not sure if you're familiar with it that's formed there's about 10 churches right now and there's more coming you know so they have no problem getting political they just don't want to talk about like the reality of things unfortunately And if you do um you know you i think a lot of pastors who might want to speak out feel like well if i lose my congregation i lose the tithe i lose my finance i lose my income you know and i i i understand that that train of thought being concerned but this there's there's a bigger issue happening here that i think um needs to be talked about and honestly i tell a lot of pastors whenever i talk to them about deconstruction or whatever else i say you might think you're discipling your church but Chances are, Charlie Kirk, Candace Owens, Sean Hannity—they're discipling your church. Like that's who they're studying under. It's not Mm -hmm. your once-a-week Sunday morning sermon. You can't hold a candle to the rhetoric, into the media dominance that Mm -hmm. that 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 these groups have on radio, on social media, you know, Mm -hmm. on podcasts. They dominate all those categories. (laughs) They make you think that they don't, but they do. I mean, that that just—and they now
0: combine it with a a touch of Bible literacy, and you're you're in. Um, yeah. So, you know, there are plenty of Sunday school classes and topics people could cover and books of the Bible. Um, but, I mean, how to fight disinformation in the church?
1: Right. Why not have that? Right. I'm with you. Well, listen, on that note, I'm going to let you go. I really appreciate all of your time. You seriously, just a treasure trove of knowledge here. I mean, wow. So many good thoughts. Um, where can people find you? Where can they follow you? Where can they read the articles? Give us all your information. I'll put it in the show notes.
0: Um, the article that you're mentioning uh, was on discover, uh, uh, flux. It's a new, uh, commentary website by Matthew Sheffield. Uh, my Twitter account is Matthew Bodie uh, at Matthew Bodie. Um, I'm, google me i'm around i've written a few things um i have a medium website that is devoted to uh, writing about charlie kirk um if you just google me and medium you'll find it it's there um and i'm on twitter uh as well
1: great well thanks for coming on keep up the great work we need people like you more than ever so do not stop whatever you're doing
0: all right thanks for having me
1: absolutely thanks Bye.
3: That's the sound of me prepping the grill with Reynolds wrap and the sound of me not doing dishes and the sound of me spending more time outside with my family.
0: Easy prep, cook and clean. Make time with Reynolds wrap.
3: I like the sound of that.
0: The future of legal THC is Mood's THCA flower. Find it today at hellomood.com, the best online dispensary that ships discreetly to your door. Great for beginner and veteran users. Mood enhances awe-inspiring experiences with a variety of high-quality products you can trust, from gummies and pre-rolls to classic flower and so much more. Try Mood's new THCA flower today, and for 20% off your first order plus a free pre-roll of THCA flower, go to hellomood.com and use promo code PODCAST20.